Welcome to Gateway Church Cymru, a church where anyone can be transformed by the story of Jesus. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's word. Acts 21, verse 7. When we'd finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Potanimus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he'd come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns his belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when he'd, we'd heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says that the risen ascended Christ has given gifts to his church. We like receiving gifts this time of year, but Christ has given gifts to his church apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And those gifts of the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. You've heard me say before, the ministers is that. In the chairs tonight, I'm just some kind of coach, and there's the ministers. We've got it the other way around, but for the work of the ministry, and it goes on to say that every part will be effective and do its share. Read Ephesians 4. But in that list of ministry gifts, we saw at the center of that list, we see at the center of that list, the evangelist. The evangelist. We're all called to be evangelists. We all need to be equipped to be evangelists. To share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no better news than the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on my last visit here, we started a three-part series looking at what it means to be an evangelist. And we, did a, we started a character study on Philip the Evangelist. He's mentioned in our reading tonight. So just quickly to recap, you'll have to listen to the, um, go online and listen to the podcast to get the full context and material, but just as a quick recap, last time in message number one, we saw characteristics of what makes a good evangelist, what can make us a good evangelist, and we saw first of all that Philip was gripped by the grace of God. He's overwhelmed by the grace of God. God's undeserved, unmerited love and favor toward us. And that's so important that we get gripped by grace. 
We can't really effectively share the message of the gospel how Christ died and Christ rose again and that's gripped by what is done in our life. And if we've lost that sense of passion, then we need to get back to the cross and say, God, melt me again. That I'll be gripped by this message, gripped by your love. And Philip's case, he, he was just one of those Jewish young men and he's just going about, he failed to, you see, every Jewish male, their aspiration was to hear a rabbi say, come, follow me. But the religious system was such that only the elite of the elite made it. And so most of Jewish young men, you're not up to it, you're thick, you're unlearned, you're not going to make it. You're not going to get into the Oxford, the Cambridge of that time. You're not going to be asked to follow a rabbi. But then along comes a, a rabbi, a new rabbi, this teacher from Galilee, this teacher from Nazareth. His name is Jesus. And he comes first to Peter and Andrew, James and John, says words that they thought they'd never hear. He says, come, follow me. He said, what? We're thick, we're, that's what they're called later in the Bible, ignorant and unlearned. But grace, you see, grace is undeserved, it's unmerited. It doesn't look at, are we qualified? Are we religious enough? Have we done this? Are our good works up to it? Or whatever, whatever. Grace says, no, as you are, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. That's great. And then it was saying for Philip, the Lord said to him, come, follow me. What, me? I'm not worthy. I didn't make the standard. No, come, follow me. He said, wow, yes, I'll come. Grace. He's overwhelmed by grace. We need to be overwhelmed by grace. And it wasn't long before Philip was sharing with Nathaniel. Wow, he's so overwhelmed he wanted to share with someone else. And that's what happens. We then went on into Acts chapter 6 and looked at, you know, Philip was one of those chosen to be a deacon to serve tables in the early church. Even there, they had to meet certain requirements. But they're the same requirements I would put to you that, that we need if we're going to be a good evangelist, a good messenger of Jesus Christ. It says that Philip is a man of good reputation. In other words, he lived the life. You see, if our lives are just gossipy, critical, negative, we're not going to win anyone. People say, oh, no, no, thank you very much. But if we've got a good reputation... If we're a good ambassador, a good representative of Jesus, wow, we have a winsome personality, good reputation. He's full of faith. He lived what he believed. Oh, the people might see that we live what we believe. Makes us a good witness. He's full of the Holy Spirit. Not that he'd been filled 10, 20, 30 years ago, but he was full. He had an up-to-date experience of being full of the Holy Spirit. He spent time with similar people. We know he spent time with Stephen, who's a like-minded evangelist. I put to you, those are key characteristics. You know, the, we can all be involved in that. Good reputation, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. Spend time with people who encourage you in God. Praise the Lord. Then we saw persecution occurred, and we moved to Acts chapter 8. And... Philip finds himself in Samaria. 
quite a good place to go from persecution because the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. How did he go about? We find soon that the whole city was stirred. How did that happen? By miracles, signs, and wonders. You think, well, that's me out for a start. I, God, I, I, not, I can't be used like that. Miracles, signs, wonders. But I believe it happened as simple as this, and it's already been touched on tonight. Is it... Philip went into the market square and perhaps he saw some lame people, crippled people, people begging as was the custom. And he went along and he, and he said, can I pray for you? That's all he had to do. Because we don't do the healing, God does the healing. We don't perform the miracle, God performs the miracle. He says, can I pray for you? And, and he does. And the person gets healed and wow! The senior grants him, he's leaping and jumping. What's all this about? It's in the crowd gathers. All we have to be is open to the Holy Spirit. As Pastor Luke has already said, maybe on Saturday someone will say, oh, I've got a need. Can I pray for you? That's all it takes. God does the rest. That workmate, that neighbor, that relative, when they're sick or in need, can I pray for you? And then as God breaks in and God moves, then you can follow it up with a message. Wow, that's not difficult. And Philip certainly did. He preached a message of Christ, Christ crucified. He preached a message of the kingdom of God, the rule of God by the Spirit of God. And he preached of the name of Jesus. The name that saves, that heals, that delivers the name of Jesus. That was the message one. Message two, we went on to look at evangelism is about individuals. We get this uh, thought that oh, evangelism is about massive crowds. And thank God for people like Billy Graham. and Thank God for Reinhard Bonnke. I don't know if you heard Reinhard Bonnke passed away today, age 79. Um, you hear about people like that and think, oh, massive crowds. Thank God for their tremendous ministries. But the bottom line in evangelism isn't the crowd. The bottom line in evangelism and let's never lose sight of it, is the individual. Is it God loves individuals. If you don't believe me, and I'm not going to go over a whole study tonight, but start to read the Gospels and read about Jesus. Yes, there's the feeding of the 5,000. Yes, there's the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, there were the big crowds. But most of the stories are not about crowds. They're about individuals. Needy, hurting, broken individuals. He sometimes went out of his way to meet with an individual like the woman of the, the well of Samaria. Wow. Never lose sight of that. And in Acts chapter 8, we have that amazing story the Ethiopian eunuch, the chancellor for Queen Candace, a man of wealth and position. And yet his life was empty. And he, he's so desperate to think. Fulfill, to fill that emptiness. He makes his way to Jerusalem, to the temple. He thinks maybe religion will satisfy the emptiness, but of course religion does not. Religion just gives, religion just gives you rules and regulations. And he's on his way home from that, with a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he's still empty, disheartened. God sees him. God sees him. 
And God speaks to Philip in the middle of a revival. He says, go to Gaza. Go to the desert. Wow. I don't know if I would have done that if I was in the middle of a revival. You know, miracles, thousands, things saved. But Philip is obedient. And, oh, I believe if we're going to be successful in evangelism, we need to learn to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit who prompts us, speak to this one, pray for that one. Go and do something for a neighbor, a friend, they're sick. Oh, to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because that's all it takes. Philip hears that voice and he leaves the revival and he goes to Gaza. And he sees some dust and he sees it, an entourage and a chariot and there's this person trying to read from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip says, Do you understand? No, I don't. Come up here and explain. And he preaches to him Jesus. He preaches to him Jesus. And and before long, they see water, and the man gets baptized and goes on his way rejoicing. Oh, it's about individuals. God loves individuals. Okay, let's recap. So, those who now roll onto fresh ground together, we come to part three in this three part series. And now we're really concentrated upon Acts chapter 21, where it mentions Philip the Evangelist. And if I have a title, it's this tonight, Evangelism in the Home. Evangelism in the Home. And in this, there's two aspects. One aspect is evangelism of the family. And the other aspect, the evangelism of the lost. Deal with that first. It wasn't originally in my notes. But I was at a meeting a couple of weeks ago. And I heard a statement. I thought, wow. He said, one of uh, the key Christian leaders, and I can't tell you their name because I sort of, by the time I thought about it, they'd already gone past that. He said, one of the key Christian leaders of today has said that the front line of evangelism in today's world is hospitality. The front line of evangelism in today's world is hospitality. Yeah, you can knock on doors, you can go on the streets, do all those things, but actually when you look at what is effective, proven to be effective in today's world, it's hospitality. Maybe in your own, own home, might be you take someone for a coffee, have a meal, you sit down, you talk, you share. And this person was saying, we've got to get back to that. Get back to that. And you look at the scriptures. And again, I'm not going to do this. You can read it for yourself. Look at the times. Go through your gospels and look at the times that Jesus sat down at meals. 
Where Jesus was in someone's home and things happened. Someone came to him. Someone received forgiveness. Someone was healed. And you'll be surprised again and again and again. It's there. I know some people feel, oh, I'm a bit nervous about it. It was strangers in my home. We've got coffee shops, we've got other places. But get the general principle. We need to be taking an extra step so we can share with people, talk with people, tell our story, our testimony of our faith in Christ. We need to get into that and do that. Praise the Lord. But the aspect that I now want to dwell on is evangelism of the family. As a young Christian, as a young minister, I remember hearing a, a man of God called John Shelburne from Lincoln. He was in ministry with John Phillips. Some of the older ones might have heard of those names. I remember him mentioning about Philip's house. What it must have been like at mealtime when Mrs. Philip, because we don't know her name, so we call her Mrs. Philip, Mrs. Philip would say to one of the daughters, you know, Jemima, whatever their name was, would you say grace? They get up to say grace, I, the Lord, would say to you, and they end up prophesying. And the four daughters would prophesy. I said, oh no, it's okay. Agabus, you say grace. And Agabus would say, oh, the Lord would show me. Oh, look, there's a belt here. And the man I bind is, with his belt is going to be bound in Jerusalem. And, oh, Agabus, no, it's okay. Paul, you say grace. Oh, Lord, oh, there's these churches. Oh, I pray for the churches we planted. I pray for those Christians, those disciples in those churches. I pray for the leaders that we will get the right leaders for those churches. Oh, I pray for the cities yet to be. Uh, you know, he's an apostle. That's how he prayed. She, she's getting the food's getting cold, and she said, "Oh, Philip, will you say grace?" And he said, "Oh, Lord, there's souls to be saved. Souls are perishing." Oh, there's a harvest field of souls out there. You know. We're all amused when this preacher said that. But it does tell us a point. In Philip's home, there's a Holy Spirit atmosphere. In Philip's home was a Holy Spirit atmosphere. And if we're going to see God work in our homes and see our families saved, if we're going to see God work in our homes when, if we invite people in that we've been talking to and sharing with, what's going to make the difference? A Holy Spirit atmosphere in our homes. The presence of God in our homes. If I didn't say anything else tonight, I say, what's the most important thing about evangelism in the home? It's make sure the presence of God fills your home. Prayer and praise. Godly music, godly conversations. Oh, the presence of God is vital. Is vital. And certainly, 
If that's true, there's only certainly true church as well. Do you know the one most important thing about these great outreaches you've got planned for next weekend and, and, and beyond that, I guess, over Christmas? The one most important, well, it's not, I shouldn't be saying thing probably, the one important person that needs to be here is the Holy Spirit. Is the presence of God. Is the presence of God. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. It's the Holy Spirit. We're born again of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work. Maybe more and more we need to recognize it's Him and not us. Because we try and persuade and we try and just relax a bit more and say, Holy Spirit, you do your work. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, you move. Holy Spirit, you invade. Holy Spirit, you come. Praise the Lord. Yeah. So the key message, all these people in the home, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. But look a bit closer at verse 9 of Acts 21. It says, now this man had four virgin daughters. He prophesied. I just stopped and looked at him a moment. Okay, he had four daughters. He didn't say he had four daughters. He had four virgin daughters. What's the, why is that there? What's, what's, what point is being made here? Well, let's recognize the world in which Caesarea and those places where Philip was living was a very immoral world. We think it's bad today when, when people think nothing of sleeping together with their boyfriends, girlfriends, and when anything goes, when there's sexual license and you know, and, and the media portrays things and advertises things that way, and it's, you know, you know what I'm talking about. There's nothing new under the sun. It was, if anything, even worse in the days of the New Testament outside of Israel, for the Jews, the Jewish religion had strict things on this, but outside of that, in the Gentile world, anything went. People would only get married just to keep the family name going, but they otherwise slept around. In fact, in places like Corinth, they had temple prostitutes, and people would be as part of their heathen worship to go and have sex with a temple prostitute, and so on, and there's not, I didn't feel any conscience about it at all. That was the kind of world that Philip's daughters were growing up in. And so the writer of Acts wants to make a point. These girls kept themselves pure. He had four virgin daughters. In other words, in Philip's house, there's a strong, what I would call, non-negotiable. Boyfriends, you don't sleep together outside of marriage. Strong, non-negotiable in Philip's house. I stood out. They had a testimony. These girls are pure. They serve God. They love God with a passion. And they kept themselves pure. Well, 
I wonder if we got strong negotiables in our households. Okay, many of you, some of you got teenagers. These are strong, long negotiables. There's no even second thought on this. There's no, there's no discussion about this. It's a non-negotiable. They were virgin daughters. But then it says about them, four virgin daughters. I love it. It says, who prophesied? Who prophesied? Well, if you're going to be prophesying, he'd be saved. Born again, saved. He need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, prophetic words, they come by inner promptings, might come by vision. But if God's word comes, they have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And they prophesy. Those words that edify, that exhort, that comfort. Wow. What amazing girls. So how did Philip and his wife do that? How were they successful in raising, in that kind of world, an immoral, idolatrous world, how were they successful in raising four teenage daughters who were passionate followers of Jesus? How did that happen? Well, I just thought of three things. There's probably lots more we could add. But three things that I believe are helpful to us. Firstly, Philip and Mrs. Philip, they lived the life. They lived the life. Sharon and I had to give you one piece of parenting advice tonight, and I think we've been reasonably successful. We have three children that are now grown up, married themselves, all serving God. Then live the example. If you want your children to be followers of God, live the example. We've already said of Philip, he is of good reputation, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. And the daughter saw, we obviously don't know much about Mrs. Philip, but the daughter saw regarding their dad and the fathers are very strong in any household. The, they saw their dad was a, a, a man whose faith was genuine. They saw him at prayer. They saw him spending time meditating over the scriptures whatever portions of scriptures they had at that time, certainly the Old Testament, they definitely had. They saw him reading that, studying that, waiting upon God, seeking God. They heard his stories. He tells stories how God used him with the miracles, the signs, the wonders. Wow! They thought, this is real. We've heard the saying before, I'm sure, more is caught then taught. Wow. In family life, it's no good telling our kids to do what we don't do ourselves. We have to lead by example. 
we have to set a standard we want our kids to come anywhere near that standard we have to live that standard you know the apostle Paul could say be followers of me as I am of the Lord it's a standard not just in family but in Christian life generally As soon as we stand behind a lectern like this, it'd be no good me getting up here and say, yeah, I'll preach you about how to do this. If I couldn't prefix it by saying, my wife and I. Or I should say, yeah, my wife and I did say it right way around. She probably got more to do it with me. And bring up the children to follow Jesus. Being an example. And that's so key. That's so key that we are examples. And church life is the key. To successful children, our youth work is to live the example. Not here, but I've noticed it in some churches, it seems that the, 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 the least spiritual, the seem to find their, weave their way into doing the kids' work. That's all wrong. You need the very best of people doing your kids' work. You need the strongest people spiritually, people of prayer, people who love the Word, people who are in love, in love with Jesus. Because, let me tell you this, children will pick up on what they see rather than what they hear. They'll follow godly examples. They'll follow godly examples live the life that would be first piece of advice that I pick up from this passage the second piece of advice that I pick up from this, this passage about evangelism in the home is the guests in the home with godly people guests in the home with godly people be careful who we allow into our homes or not so much who or what we allow into our homes we live they didn't have TVs and multimedia and all this stuff so we the guests don't have to be flesh and blood guests the guests can be virtual guests that come through the TV come through other ways as well we need to make sure who are the guests in our home are they bringing what is positive, what is good and honest and pure, of good report, as Philippians 4 says, into our home? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Into this home of Philip, we had guests like Agabus, the prophet. Wow, I guess he had a few stories to tell. Prophets are people who live close to God, who live in the presence of God, who inspire others to live in the presence of God. Prophets are people inspire people to prayer, and obviously prophets prophesy as well. I'm pretty sure of this. It was probably Agabus' visits to this home. I remember he said, hey girls, let me pray for you. And perhaps he prayed for them. Maybe that's when they got filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't know. Oh, but maybe he then says, come on, you can prophesy. You can prophesy. You can prophesy. Oh, he just encouraged them. Wow, what a godly guest of in the home. What encouragement. And then add to that the Apostle Paul coming, sharing the word, basics of Christian discipleship, talking the stories of church being planted, of great things that God was doing, and see his love and his passion about the work of God. What influence in the home. 
Wow. Conversations that were godly. Conversations that were edifying. Conversations that built people up. In our homes, we need to watch the conversations. If you've got young children, what conversations you have in front of them. Yeah, I appreciate there are times you have to discuss some pretty difficult things and challenging things. But the things you need to do when the children are not around. Okay, as they get older, as they get to teenage years, we used to find this in Bristol. There are some things that were challenging, even in church life. And we thought, if we don't tell them, they're going to hear it through some other channel. So we had to make a decision. There are certain things we had to be the first to tell them, to find the right way to tell them, so they don't hear it in the wrong way from the wrong source. But we've tried at all times. I'm not saying we're perfect in it all the time, but we tried at all times to make sure the conversations were godly and edifying. Not negative, not critical, not gossip, not pulling things down, but building things up. Praise the Lord. The third thing I would say, and as I say, there's lots more I could share on family life, but I'm trying to bring it from this passage, although this last one isn't totally from the passage. By inference it is. What Philip and Mrs. Philip did started at an early age. I can only say that by inference of what Philip was doing and there's no mention of his family in Samaria, but so we know what God was doing in his life. But one of the great examples in the Bible of how important it is from the womb, certainly from the cradle, from the youngest age to get it right, is found with regards to Moses. Moses. <coughs> Moses, everyone knows the Moses story. Pharaoh said all male children should be thrown into the Nile to be eaten by the crocodiles. Very nice. Not. But Moses' mother, Jochebed, she hid him. Hid him until he got too big to hide. And Then you know the story. They put him in a, made an ark of bulrushes. So they kept they did put him in the Nile, kind of. Put him there, and then of course Pharaoh's daughter comes along and says, Oh, look at that beautiful baby, you know. And she coos over him and says, Oh. And then of course Miriam, Moses' oldest sister, says, Oh, I know someone you can nurse him for you, Pharaoh's daughter, your highness, whatever they called her. And, and so Jochebed then has the opportunity to look after her own son for maybe just a couple of years before he's taken then totally to Pharaoh's palace and brought up in Pharaoh's palace, taught all the education of Egypt, all the, the, the heathen things of Egypt. But then in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, we read in Hebrews 11, verse 23, 24, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. 
by faith Moses, when he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Wow. Where did Moses get all that from? Okay, maybe God spoke to him in a vision. I know that's possible. But I put to you tonight that from that cradle, in those first two, three, four years of life, Jacobet, and I believe her husband's name was Amran, they just poured everything they could into Moses. He's only a little child. He's preschool in today's world. But they poured everything into him. So that when he grows up in Pharaoh's palace, he makes a decision. Wow, he never forgets those formative years. Something that's been deposited in his life that sticks with him, that stays with him, that makes him unsettled about Egypt. And he chooses, rather, to identify with the people of God. And the, he chooses, in effect, Christ, rather than the riches of Egypt. Wow. Don't ever tell me that all the kids up to, you know, until they're about six or seven, doesn't matter. Don't need to bring them to church. Don't need to pray. Don't need to do any of those things. You know, it's very little. They won't understand. Nonsense. Those are important, formative years. Again, regarding ourselves, right from before our children were born, we pray for them when they're still in the womb. And when they're born, we spend time, family prayer times, family prayer times, family prayer times. We take them to the meetings. Heartland Friday, the Friday prayer meeting, we take them to the meetings, and they would be fast asleep. People say, oh, you bring them to fast asleep. Hey, amazing. As they got older, do you know what one meeting they didn't want to miss ever? It was the prayer meeting. This love prayer. As we took them to meetings, we prayed together every, as they grew older, we'd pray by the city. I can see us all now, kneeling down by the city. Jonathan the oldest, then Hannah, then Miriam the Five years younger than Hannah, and just kneeling down and praying every morning, reading the scriptures every morning. And then, if I was tired of the meetings, I think she was often sharing in the night, but in the morning, I'd leave that family altar time. Okay, some days were a bit faster than others, you know, it's like particularly when they became teenagers, you know, and, and the prayer was a bit more rushed some days, and the scripture was just one verse rather than a longer reading. But we said, no, this is, what, this is non-negotiable. We have a family all the time. We're going to do it. And Jonathan, our oldest, he, he studied from, in University of West England, he studied from home right to his university and still came and knelt down by the city with the others until he was married and had a home of his own. Family altar. And today, he's serving God in the street. Helen Garethrin, Newbridge. Miriam is being so effective and a witness in, uh, as head of sixth form in, in London and, and with many doing their own kind of church planting, kind of style ministry. Wow. Sow the seeds. 
from the youngest age. Don't think of only little kids, the babies, the toddlers, they're just preschool. No, they're vital. Share them. Obviously, reach down to their level and teach them the basics. We're doing that with our grandchildren now. So that's where we're at. Whenever we have opportunity to see with them, pray with them, encourage them in these things. Praise the Lord. Lay down your non-negotiables. You've got to choose your non-negotiables. For us, a non-negotiable was Sunday's the Lord's Day. It was our non-negotiable. I know there's people who have different views, but that was our non-negotiable. If you've got work to do, you do it after the evening service. We had two services. So they have to study hard on Saturdays. They have to study hard other times. But they got their GCSEs. They got their A-levels. They went to university. They've each got their degrees. Going on. So nobody can say to us, oh, that would be difficult. No. Live the life. Check the guests into your home. Start at an early age. You say, oh, Pastor Rob, what if it's too late? It's never too late to start. Come before God and say, Lord, help us. Maybe we could have done better. Help us to make a start. To put in place some of these things. Hallelujah. I promise you, God will do well. The presence of God fills your home and you're living the life. You're watching the guests into your home, including those TV guests. <laughs> and you're laying down the principles from an early age. God will work. God will move. God will not fail. Hallelujah. Evangelism in Amen. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe. And check out our podcast channel for past episodes. For more content from Gateway and to connect with us, go to gatewaychurchcumry.co.uk. Have a great day.